What's the only weekly wrap-up of the top compliance and ethics stories? It is This Week in FCPA with Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, and Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor. Each week, Tom and Jay highlight 10 stories which caught their collective eye, talk about sports and movies, highlight top podcasts, and preview their upcoming events. Join This Week in FCPA each week for a one-stop review of the week's compliance and ethics highlights. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Some of the stories Jay and I are following this week include the weather in Texas and, more importantly, how it informs compliance. The Bader-Mainoff phenomenon that Dick Casson wrote about in the FCPA blog. Dylan Toker has a trioka of stories this week, starting with embezzlement and corruption. Cisco discloses both in a filing. Former Brascom CEO is in talks to plead out, and how the SEC enforcement may increase under the Biden administration. Also, hiring and screening in a pandemic, Matt Jay reports in Corporate Compliance Insights. Jay takes a look at how Tom Brady informs your compliance program. We visit about some of the podcasts over the past week, including Natalia Shaheda, finally gets to the CCO chair. We have new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network this month, including ComTech with Valerie Charles, Big Brains in Compliance. Tom is joined by Stephen Martin. And we had episode two post on the Compliance Handbook, a new affiliated monitors podcast, webinars, events, and the release for pre-sale of Tom's new book, the Compliance Handbook, second edition, all on This Week in FCPA. Live. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox coming to you from an undisclosed location in Greater Harris County for This Week in FCPA, episode 240 for the week ending, February 19, 2021, a week I will certainly not forget, the hell freezes over, or let's go to Cancun edition. As Jay and I uh, reflect back on the week, we consider the... Texas weather situation and why we went dark, and the beloved junior senator from Texas, Ted Cruz, that's hashtag Cancun Ted, headed away to Mexico to get away from it all. But the compliance world was still turning, even if Tom did not have power. So, Jay, what do you say? I say whatever Texas says goes. Let's go and get to the ethics and compliance stories for the week. So because uh, most of my week was concerned about uh, water, power, electricity, Internet, and uh, most particularly single-digit temperatures, uh, when I did have power, Jay, I wrote um, a series of blog posts about um, the weather and how that informs compliance. So uh, I thought I would uh, talk a little bit about those. It turns out Mother Nature has lots of lessons for the compliance professional. I found uh, lessons in managing risk and the abject failure of the uh, Texas state government to not only anticipate that a cold spell was coming, which was four or five days notice, but more importantly, uh, not to mandate that uh, companies prepare for freezing temperatures. So apparently... This was not known to me, but mechanical um, uh, processes uh, can uh, fail in cold weather. I think it's called freezing. Um, 
Also, if you cool your nuclear plant using water, uh, water can freeze. Who knew? Well, certainly we didn't know it in Texas. Anyway, uh, and then I took a look at root cause analysis because at some point, even the idiots that run the government of the state of Texas are going to have to figure out what went wrong. Although I would note for the record, they have uh, <clears throat> blamed it on AOC, who subsequently raised $2 million for the people of Texas while Ted Cruz was vacationing in Cancun. And uh, also on, uh, according to Don Trump Jr., uh, the Democratic governor of Texas, I'm sure that's news to him, Greg Abbott, he's not a Democrat. And of course, uh, the green environmental movement, which um, has not made it to Texas either. Uh, finally, they bl blamed it on wind, and I will leave that part to your imagination. But also, I found uh, some interesting lessons around continuous risk assessments. So uh, I wrote about that uh, on Friday. And of course, I've linked all three of those. And so if you really need to think through, and on the continuous risk assessment, I interviewed our good friend, Russ Berlin, and he talked about how his company, Inventive Technologies, has a framework to think about uh, categorizing, analyzing, and assessing risk and how they continually update their risk assessment or at least update it on a monthly basis. And I found it an excellent framework for the compliance practitioner. So Jay, uh, one of my favorite com two commercials of all time uh, was one which uh, ended uh, with the now famous line, it's not nice to fool Mother Nature. And it turns out Mother Nature has a lot to say about compliance. So I hope uh, the readers and listeners of this podcast will uh, check those out and I hope they can learn some lessons. Was that Imperial Margarine? It was. Yeah, good commercial. So uh, first up from FCPA blog, got something from the founder, Dick Casson, and it's called... The Bader-Meinhof phenomenon is it a secret weapon for compliance training? The Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, although the name might not be familiar, everybody knows what it is. It's when you learn about something new and then notice it everywhere you go. You say to yourself, how come I didn't notice this before? It's all over the place. And this happened to Dick recently. He was slogging through a 699-page SEC filing and thought about the burden that falls on the corporate world every 90 days. And then he began to notice 90 days was everywhere. He saw a payment term for a 90-day grace period and a new insurance policy for a 90-day wait for coverage. And bank deposits locked up longer than 90 days had to be separated from ready cash. We get the idea. Why hadn't he noticed 90 days things before? It's everywhere. Another name for the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon is a frequency illusion. There are lots of theories about why it happens, and here's how. Spiritualists think God of the universe is at work, bringing something essential and profound into your daily consciousness. The consensus, consensus explanation is for frequency illusion. It's more practical. Pacific Magazine said, the mind plays a trick on you through a two-step process. The first step is when you notice a new thing. Your mind then unconsciously keeps an eye out for it as a result, of, and it finds it surprising. The second step is called confirmation bias, which reassures you that each sighting is further proof of your impression that the thing that has gained overnight omnipotence. In other words, nothing has changed in the world except your perceptions of it. The Bader-Meinhof phenomenon is real, and someone plays, and it somehow plays a role in how we learn new things and remember them. The application to any kind of training, including compliance training, is clear. 
if trainers can induce frequency illusion about something important, say the anonymous companies and offshore bank accounts are red flags, then training will reverberate long after any classroom session ends. Dick once heard a compliance trainer say, repetition is key, but it can't be boring. So maybe the way to drive home a crucial compliance point is to explain it and then tell the trainees about the batter Mainoff phenomenon. In any words, link the substantive lessons with another lessons about how the mind works. That may be an indirect way to create the needed repetition. Now that you know about the compliance dangers of anonymous companies and offshore bank accounts, I bet you'll see them everywhere in your due diligence. Tom? So uh, special credit, Jay, if you know who the, uh, uh, my, can't pronounce it, Bader Minoff gang was. Um, were they terrorists? Uh, they were German domestic terrorists who, together with the Red Brigade, uh, spread terror across Europe in the early 1970s. Two for two. Two for two. <laughs> so next up, uh, we uh, we could have named this episode the Dylan Tokar episode because we have three entries from our good friend Dylan Tokar, who uh, writes over at the Wall Street Journal, uh, usually in the Risk and Compliance Journal, but he seems to have a broader remit as well. But he focuses on compliance issues, and he I wrote about Cisco Systems disclosing possible embezzlement scheme in its China operation. And, and Jay, I know you're shocked, simply shocked, to um, have that, um, hear that there may be corruption in China. But this entire uh, scheme is not new. Um, this was uh, the scheme that was found by or utilized by GlaxoSmithKline and even as far back as Eli Lilly. And it's a scheme where the China business unit embezzles and defrauds money from the corporate office. They don't keep the money. They use it to pay bribes to garner contracts. So uh, this has been around at least since uh, 10 years ago. And it appears that um, Chinese business unit employees were somehow defrauding the Cisco corporate office and then using that money uh, as a, to create a pot to pay bribes. So uh, once again... Um, the, the future is now, or uh, the past is not dead. It's not even past yet. So uh, interesting article. This was only uh, Cisco disclosing this. There's no information yet on where the investigation has gone and any potential FCPA fines and penalties. But it just goes to show, Jay, that as sophisticated as bribery schemes can get, uh, sometimes the old-fashioned ways still work, and apparently they still worked at Cisco. Well, let's leave China and let's go to Brazil for uh, the second promised article by Dylan. Uh, the former chief executive officer of Brazilian petrochemical company Braschem is in talks with U.S. prosecutors to settle charges stemming from an alleged role in the scheme to create a slush fund. Sound familiar? For illegal bribes, according to court filings. Jose Carlos Grubicic, Braskem CEO from 2002 to 2008, was arrested in November of 2019 and charged with conspiring to violate provisions of the FCPA and commit money laundering. After pleading not guilty, Mr. Grubicic was released on bail in March last year while he prepared for trial. His lawyer, in a letter dated Wednesday, asked a judge overseeing the case to delay a status conference, saying parties were engaged in discussions regarding a potential resolution of the case. Prosecutors in the three-count indictment have accused Mr. Gubisic, rather Grubisic, as an unnamed co-conspirators of creating a $250 million slush fund through payments made from the company's accounts in New York, 
Florida, and Brazil. The indictment added new allegations to a scandal that has roiled Brazilian politics and business since 2014, following far-reaching corruption investigation by Brazilian prosecutors and has been known ever more since as Operation Car Wash. The largest contractor involved in the car wash scheme was a company formerly known as Odebrecht SA, Brascom's parent company. In 2016, Odebrecht and Brascom agreed to pay a combined penalty of $3.5 billion to resolve charges with authorities in the U.S., Brazil, and Switzerland. Tom, tell us about uh, hiring and screening in the pandemic. So this was, a, uh, I thought, a prescient article, um, certainly um, something that people need to keep on the front burner, at least the front of their mind. It comes to us from Matt Jay who uh, posted it in Corporate Compliance Insights. And he talks about some of the issues and difficulties around remote hiring and the expansion of laws um, affecting the hiring and screening process. Uh, some of those include uh, ban the box legislation, which prohibits employees from asking questions about a candidate's criminal history or conducting a criminal background check, uh, salary history bans, um, some states have uh, marijuana legalization. So can you uh, ask employees to take a uh, drug test or not? Uh, what if you're a New York company hiring in Texas? What if you're a Texas company hiring in New York? All difficult, uh, or at least uh, questions you need to be cognizant of. Um, the increased importance in candidate experience, that's really, I think, an interesting observation, Jay, because uh, we've had many layoffs and furloughs. So we've had a, a large number of very highly trained and professional people who have been laid off um, that are now in the workforce. So there is uh, a greater importance on candidate experience. And then what about uh, background screening tech? Uh, how would you screen your employees uh, certainly, uh, our good friend Candace Tal has been doing this for a long time, and she, in my mind, really leads that discussion. But uh, there are new tools for remote candidate screening. Uh, I-9s are always uh, an important issue uh, when you're uh, looking for candidates. There's um, how are you going to monitor your workforce, workforce, particularly around healthcare issues. And then there are customizable background checks that you can use. So I thought it was a good review and his focus on this part of the employment cycle in the era of COVID-19 is something that every compliance professional in the CCO needs to be cognizant of, Jake. Thanks, Tom. Uh, next article up is from yours truly called TB12 and Greatness. What does it mean for compliance? The Patriot Way, GOAT, the greatest of all time. If they want you to cook the dinner, at least they ought to let you shop for some of the groceries and next man up. No one can deny the string of successes, nine Super Bowl appearances, and six victories by the tandem of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Suddenly, this long-term relationship came to an abrupt stop last March when the New England Patriots cut ties with Brady. Now the question is being asked, especially after Brady's Super Bowl victory with Tampa Bay, who was more responsible for the success, Brady or Belichick? Or maybe it's a combination of the both. This may not seem to be a discussion of individual accolades, but it also may be a larger discussion about compliance and more precisely culture with a capital C. 
When we look at compliance in an organization, it's not only about following the rules, but it's also a subset of something greater, of culture that exists in the workplace. Sometimes it's born by tradition, other times it's directly the result of senior management team and the board of directors. You've heard these pithy phrases before, tone at the top, mood at the middle, buzz at the bottom. While you gotta love the alliteration, what does it all mean and does it reveal any clues as to the relationship between Messiers, Brady and Belichick? And ultimately, does it answer the question who bears more responsibility or who contributed more to their mutual success? Some people say Brady's a system quarterback and that he was a creation of Belichick. Over 20 years or so, Brady progressed from being a quarterback who follows the conservative playbook, trying not to lose the game, and grew into an offensive juggernaut with a 50-touchdown season in 2007. As Brady matured into his tenure in New England and his partnership with Belichick, they must have spent numerous late nights and early mornings watching film and coming up with myriads of ways to decimate the competition. In this article, or actually in this, uh, yeah, in this article, it was my goal to talk about compliance and culture. So which one is it? Yes, we need corporate rules to follow, and there are certainly ramifications for not following the rules. Yet our workplaces should be meritocracies, and people should be encouraged to do the right thing. Additionally, they should be recognized and promoted for individual achievements. Okay, so far. But we must also allow our employees to grow and contribute to our organizations. Now, Bill might be a crusty head coach sent in his way, but when he let Tom Brady leave the New England fold, it set up the discussion we're having today. These two men were supposed to share a common goal. Now, the moment Tom showed up in Tampa Bay, he picked up his trusty cell phone and encouraged some of his friends to join him. Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette, and Tom said, hey guys, I'm putting together a football team where we're gonna have some fun. I extremely doubt that this is the way that Belichick recruits new talent. So which one is it? Nature or nurture? Belichick or Brady? Each duo has its strengths, passions, and reasons why they work so well together. So I guess I'm saying that it's both compliance and culture, which matter, which matter, and those managers and board members who can successfully merge the two realms will be more successful. So if I had to choose with my best RuPaul, TB12, you stay, Bill Belichick, sashay away. Tom, back to you. Jay, we have our final article on uh, from Dylan Tokar, and a great week uh, on writing, Dylan. A big shout-out to you for uh, the articles this week, these and many more. And if you don't subscribe to the Risk and Compliance Journal, I urge you to do so. If, if you uh, subscribe to the journal, uh, you can get the daily report uh, sent to your e- email inbox. Uh, but here he talks about um, how the SEC is sin- signaling a more aggressive stance towards Wall Street. Uh, we've already had... Uh, one move which allowed or returned discretion to SEC enforcement staff to approve formal investigations. And uh, this is um, this has been cut back to the uh, commission itself. So uh, clearly, uh, Jay Clayton didn't want uh, any investigations going off without, uh, you know, him personally approving it. But um, now we have another issue, which uh, Kara Brockmeyer, who's a partner at uh, Debevoise and Plimpton and former head of the FCPA unit at the SEC says the pieces in pl- are in place for an aggressive era of FCPA enforcement. And that aggressiveness 
is around uh, waivers. So when you settle a securities law complaint, a company can be automatically disqualified from fundraising activities or regulatory exemptions unless they receive a waiver from the SEC. Under the Trump administration, these waivers were granted with every settlement uh, on a routine basis, and they were um, uh, kind of part and parcel for settling this case. Um, But now the SEC has changed this policies to dislink, one of my favorite words of all time, the settlement from receiving this waiver. And as Kara said, uh, to uh, Dylan for the article, it's kind of like pleading guilty when you don't know what the judge is going to sentence you to. Uh, the uh, not, not surprisingly, the two Republican commissioners uh, oppose the reversal, uh, and it does add uncertainty to your overall uh, settlement process because if you uh, are in the decision-making process, um, you have to decide uh, or weigh the likelihood of receiving a post waiver, or excuse me, post resolution waiver in determining whether or not to uh, to accept a settlement. Uh, the problem is you may not know, and you may accept a settlement and and not be given the waiver, and that creates another set of issues. But it does strengthen the SEC's hands. Uh, that's certainly true, and and really the the focus of Dylan's article is this is just all of these are signaling a more aggressive stance uh, towards Wall Street. Jay. So, Tom, uh, now it's time when we're going to talk about some of the upcoming webinars. Uh, why don't you let us know what you spoke about this week in Episode 3 of The Compliance Life with Natalia Shaheda. Shaheda. Shaheda, sorry. It only took me five years to learn how to pronounce her name. <laughs> Natalia Shaheda. She's the CCO at ABB. <clears throat> she has joined me this month for The Compliance Life. And uh, Jay, in this episode, uh, Natalia gets to the CCO chair itself, and she went uh, to work with uh, a company who had one of the most severe FCPA fines and penalties, Weatherford, and uh, um, Billy Jacobson got them through that and uh, through the settlement, and then Natalia took over after Billy. And so she was in a pretty high-profile job, and so she talks about the challenges of working with a monitor. The next company she went to was under investigation. So she talks about those challenges and it's a really fascinating exploration of a CCO who uh, when, uh, when she went to the chair, it was a very hot seat and it continued to, uh, to be a hot C4. Jay, if I could, we've got two additional, actually three additional new podcasts out this month on the Compliance Podcast Network. In Comtech, Valerie Charles joins me for an uh, exploration of the intersection of compliance and technology. And we had uh, Parth Chanda on our most recent episode. Uh, last week, uh, I premiered a podcast with my good friend, Stephen Martin, who is a partner at Stone Turn, and that's Big Brains in Compliance. And that's where Stephen and I talked to some of the, the smartest thinkers and most innovativers in compliance. And we had our introductory episode. And then also I have um, a, a pod tube which is when you podcast video on YouTube called the Compliance Handbook. And that's in honor of the, uh, and to support my book that will be uh, released uh, for public, or has been uh, released, excuse me, will be released in April by its publisher, LexisNexis. So I'm doing a series on the elements of an effective compliance program. Uh, so I've had uh, Stephen Martin talked about the six elements of an effective compliance program that Stephen helped develop. Mike Volkoff 
has talked about uh, boards of uh, directors on this next week. I have just a dynamic, funny episode with two of the funniest people I know, Jay, uh, uh, Ronnie Feldman and Ricardo from Broadcat, uh, Peloton, Pelophon from uh, uh, Broadcat, and uh, they talk about communication and training from their very unique perspectives. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. They have some really interesting ideas about communications in very innovative ways. As always, Ronnie is incredibly funny, and, and Ricardo has about the driest sense of humor I, I know in compliance. Um, so it's a great – that episode will post Monday uh, as well. And uh, it's going to be great. Uh, it's been a great month, and uh, we've even had a new AMI podcast is out, Jay. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. We've got a new podcast out called Integrity Through Compliance. And as usual, it will have AMI expert observations and guidance in the fields of ethics, antitrust, healthcare, government contracting, corporate governance, cybersecurity, construction, telecommunication, consumer protection, and the list goes on. In the first episode, AMI's founder, Vindy Siani, visited with managing director Jerry Coyne, and they discussed the future of telehealth and home health care during the pandemic. Uh, a week ago, we premiered episode two, where Managing Director Brenda Morris and Dion Lomax visited with Jennifer Newton. And in our upcoming episode three, which will drop this coming Wednesday, the 25th, we talked with Joseph K. West, partner and chief diversity and inclusion officer at Dwayne Morris. So, uh, you can find the uh, podcast both on the Affiliated Monitors website, and we're also proud to be part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Tom, what's coming up webinar-wise? So on Thursday, February 25th, uh, K2 Integrity is going to have Ask the Expert Finn Query on um, K2 Integrity's financial crimes expert. We'll list, uh, respond to your questions on AML and the new um, AML law and sanctions. Also, next week, uh, Baker Tilly is having its first annual Fraud and Compliance Summit. This is going to be a really unique event. I think it's 12 hours, but it's over three days, so you're not required to sit for a day and a half or two days. And some of the top compliance practitioners around, I'm lucky enough to uh, have joined uh, Mary Shirley for a presentation. It will be Zoom, but we will all be live. And our friend Jonathan Marks has put together a fabulous program so check that out. Uh, both of those events are available free. And if you are interested at all in podcasting, I have the event for you because Podca uh, PodFest is going to have its global summit the first week of March. They are trying to uh, blast through their Guinness uh, Book of Records from last summer where they had the largest number of attendees at an online event. 5,004. I was privileged to be a part of that. And here in the first week in March, they're going to uh, try and do it again, uh, except uh, break that record and break it in a record, break, break it in a way that it will not uh, be broken by anyone else. You, I've got links to the registration information. <clears throat> you can have free registration if you use the promo code CPN. That's uh, for Compliance Podcast Network. So if you're interested in podcasting at all, it's uh, from the literally the newbie beginner to all the way up to um, the professional like Jay. So uh, check out uh, PodFest Global Summit the first week of March. 
And finally, Jay, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I'm extraordinarily pleased to announce my latest book, The Compliance Handbook, second edition. It's available for pre-sale. As I indicated, it will be uh, released in April by LexisNexis. If you purchase it on the pre-sale basis, you get a discount, and I've got a discount code, Box25. They're both links to the um, information on the book and the pre-sale with the code. If you're interested, it's going to be available both in print and ebook edition. So I'm really happy uh, to get that out. Jay? Good, good stuff, Tom. So uh, if anybody would like to reach Tom, he can be reached at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. And myself, Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor, I can be reached at the initial J R O S E N at affiliatedmonitors.com. Tom, you, you guys have gone through one heck of a week down there in the Southwest. Is there Anything our viewers and listeners can send to you besides our good wishes and warm blankets, what else can we do for the Fox family? So uh, actually, Jay, what I've been thinking about is uh, I do a fair amount of compliance training and I used to do legal training. And one of my uh, salient points was don't put stupid stuff in emails. I'm going to amend that now to don't put stupid stuff in text chains that you send around to your neighbors Uh, that, gosh, wouldn't it be nice to leave this miserable, freezing Houston, Texas, and let's go down to warm and sunny Cancun. Uh, If you're the (laughs) wife of a U.S. senator, you look incredibly stupid. So don't put stupid stuff in text chains that people are going to share with the New York Times. That's a freebie on the house. Thank you, Jay. All right. So on behalf of Tom and myself, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this week in FCPA. Episode 240 for the week ending February 19th, 2021, the hell freezes over, or as Tom just inferred, a trip to Cancun edition. Uh, We hope you will all be safe and healthy and join us again next week when we take a look at the week in FCPA. Thanks for watching and listening. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. I'd like you to check out the new Affiliated Monitors podcast. We'll be up on the Compliance Podcast Network very soon. It's going to be uh, some great content from our good friends at Affiliated Monitors, including my This Week in FCPA co-host, Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitors himself. You can reach Jay at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. You can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you'll join us each Thursday at 4 p.m. Central on LinkedIn or Facebook, where we live stream This Week in FCPA. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.